Welcome to Global Health and Childhood Cancer. I'm your host, Mark Zobeck. Hey, everybody. Welcome back to the podcast. Okay, it's been a few weeks since I last posted. Unfortunately, I think that's a function of just being very busy and trying to juggle lots of responsibilities. I'm sure many listeners can identify with that struggle. But um, yeah, it seems clinical duties and family duties and dadgum research duties have taken precedence, but getting those things balanced out a little more. And so I can be back with you today. And I've got some exciting things both today to present to you and also on the horizon, trying to get some stuff out in the lead up to PSYOP, just because it seems like that's a good goal to have some exciting stuff come out. So keep an eye on your podcast feeds as I have some really interesting guests coming up and we will explore some topics that really get me excited. So today we have a great conversation with a couple of nutritionists. So I will be talking to Nini Joe and Aaron Gordon about a project that they have been doing in Myanmar at Yangon Children's Hospital. Dr. Nini Jo, who I will call Nini during the episode, is a clinical nutrition specialist in the hematology-oncology unit at Yangon Children's Hospital, uh, where he specializes in the promotion of nutrition care in both the inpatient and outpatient setting. He also volunteers in the neurology unit, working on ketogenic diets for refractory epilepsy patients. Um, He's also known in Myanmar as a social influencer where he goes by the name Dr. Nutrition and he promotes healthy nutrition practices through a variety of channels, including radio, television, and social media. And Aaron Gordon is a registered dietitian at Boston Children's Hospital who works in the pediatric oncology unit, uh, both with inpatient and outpatient setting. And together, they collaborated on this project of starting a nutrition program at Yangon Children's Hospital. So today, you'll hear us discuss how the project got started, what the specific intervention is, and what results they have so far. Along the way, you'll hear a lot of reflection about the importance of nutrition, how people and how societies interact with food, and how those interactions become apparent within the pediatric cancer treatment setting. So. This episode is half a discussion about the specifics of the project and half an exploration about the importance of nutrition within global pediatric oncology. And I think that makes for both an informative and an engaging discussion. For me, it was an important reminder that, as you'll hear us say in the episode, food is medicine and it should be seen as such no matter where pediatric oncology patients are being treated. All right, that said, let's go ahead and get to the discussion. I hope you enjoyed it as much as I did. Hello, everybody. So I'm here with Aaron Gordon and Nini Joe, and we're going to talk about their recent project with promoting nutrition um, in Myanmar. So if y'all could just introduce yourselves, who are you and how did you get involved in the project? Sure. Okay, my name is Erin Gordon, and I am a dietitian at Boston Children's Hospital, and I um, am fortunate to work with uh, pediatric oncology patients, both inpatient and outpatient in our um, outpatient clinic. And I got involved with this project, um, let's see, about two years ago um, through a colleague of mine, Lisa Morrissey, who's the director of our nursing global health program, who's been working in Yangon for the past several years. Um, and she and I chatted a little bit 
about um, what a nutrition program would look like in Yangon, and we've been working there ever since. Excellent. Hi, I'm I am Dr. Nijo from Yangon, and I'm currently working as the clinical nutrition specialist in Yangon Children's Hospital of the Hematology. I, how I involved this project by uh, our my professor Dr. Ak asked me to do to offer me this opportunity to in, involve the nutrition project. Uh, I joined this project for since February 2019, which is about seven months in already. All right, very good. So tell us where were you, or where does this project take place? Like, can you describe the setting to us and describe what uh, the nutritional landscape was like prior to starting the project? Um, I can speak a little bit about how the um, project got started and how um, we were fortunate enough to find Nini. So Boston Children's Hospital has been working with Yangon Children's Hospital uh, since 2012, doing really nursing education and establishing safe nursing practices. And we, um, in 2017, were invited to come and do a nutrition needs assessment um, where myself and one of our global health nurses, um, Catherine Meriden, traveled to Yangon to meet with the physicians there, the nurses, and really spend, we were there for about two weeks, really trying to understand what the nutrition kind of climate looked like what was happening on the ground, as well as where some of the barriers and needs were. At that point, we also kind of did a what we called a snapshot nutrition assessment of the children, and we found that about 50% of the children um, in the hematology oncology ward um, had some degree of malnutrition. And so we, um, working with the physicians in Yangon and our colleagues here in Boston, we put together a program proposal to really look at how we can improve nutrition outcomes. And in doing so, we were able to find Nini, um, as he said, through one of the physicians um, who connected us. And at that point, we were able to build the, uh, the program as it stands now, which I can let Nini kind of describe a little bit more about what the setting is like. Yes, our setting is like, uh, as the Aaron mentioned before, the, the, our nutrition status of the Chinese uh, more than 50%, uh, more than 50%. So we, uh, we need to do that. Uh, at first, we need to do the nutrition screening, and then we have to give the nutrition intervention according to their category of their nutrition status. And um, uh, our goal is to receive their, uh, to, to receive the nutrition and uh, to, to correct the nutrition status and then to uh, to support the treatment of the uh, oncology treatments, especially for chemotherapy treatment. And there, the state of the project is like uh, now we are implementing the, uh, we are giving the intervention to our children and then we are waiting for the result. Uh, but it, as you know, uh, nutrition intervention is a long-term, long-term intervention. Uh, so we need to wait for maybe one year or two years to get the result. Uh, and then we have a plan to do the, uh, we, we always do the three-month assessments of the nutrition status of their child, of their hemato-oncology ward. It's quite, uh, the number is not quite different yet. Got it. Okay. So... That's a good big picture overview of the project, but let me step back and ask, 
at first, you said you did a survey of the nutritional status and it was greater than 50% of the kids were malnourished or how did you classify them? So we use WHO criteria to classify children with mild, moderate, and severe malnutrition. And so um, what we do is we looked at all the children who are, who are inpatient. So this is an inpatient program. And on any given day, there could be you know, upwards of 50 patients in the ward. And so we went around and we did heights and weights and figured out BMI or weight for length C-scores. And using the WHO criteria, we were able to classify these children with a degree of malnutrition. That's what we did during our baseline needs assessment. And we used that to help kind of drum up the support to show that the need is, is really quite high um, to have 50% of the children um, at malnourished at baseline um, is really quite staggering. I gotcha. And so it was any malnutrition in the kids. Um, yes. How did it break out by mild, moderate, and severe? So during that first needs assessment, we found that 25% of the children had mild malnutrition, 9% of the children had moderate, and 22% had severe malnutrition. Oh, wow. And as we've continued to conduct various kind of snapshots looking at all the children before the program started, and now that the program has started, we conduct heights and weights on a regular basis. We're finding that these numbers, you know, continue really to be the case. And as Nini was implying, you know, the program has been running for the last six months. And so we're just now starting to go through our six-month data to see what, what progress we're making. Sure. So this was a snapshot, you said. So it was patients at different times in treatment, I would assume, like at the beginning or sometime in the middle, and hopefully some off-treatment patients. Is that correct? So all of these children were either um, just diagnosed or actively receiving treatment. We, at this point, we're not looking at children post-treatment. Gotcha. And I, I'm just curious, the reason for such a high prevalence of malnutrition is, does it, do we think it's something to do with, you know, the, the treatment and the actual experience of cancer care? Or was it that there's a high pre-existing prevalence of malnutrition at Yangon Children's Hospital for any patients, you know, if there's socioeconomic problems or whether it's a country level problem, um, how do you formulate it in your mind? I think that's a good question. I think that I think there's there's two kind of issues. One is um, the baseline nutrition status of children in Myanmar as a whole, and Nini can speak more to this, I'm sure. But you know, when as a country, about thirty percent of children in Myanmar suffer from chronic malnutrition. When we look at rates of stunting um, countrywide, and so when you have a population of children who are already a third of whom have chronic malnutrition, and then you add cancer diagnosis to that, which we know children with a cancer diagnosis have considerable difficulty maintaining maintaining their weight and gaining weight appropriately you have kind of this dual action where the rates become much, much higher. Yeah, uh, the reason why the percentage of the malnutrition is high in, in hematoncology unit is maybe due to the combination of the, these two reasons, because our country is, or uh, the children in our country is already malnourished. 
uh, as the Aaron's described about that, thirty uh, percent of the thirty percent of the children are suffer, suffering the chronic malnutrition, and then it added to the when they they are diagnosed as the cancer, so it became the rate the rate of the the percentage of the malnourished malnourished is a little bit higher. Uh, that's the reason why, uh, because our children are. Uh, even sometimes we can't even apply the. Uh, uh, we can you know, sometimes we are we are very difficult to apply the BM uh, BMI Z score of the WHO because as uh, our child is very very uh, their height is very standard and then when we calculate their normal body weight uh, when they when we calculate with the body weight their BMI became seems to be become the normal actually they are not. Uh, they, actually, they are mild, moderate, or severe, maybe something like that. So we need to confirm with the BMI and also with the mid and circumference. So the BMI does not correlate well in your population to nutritional status? Is that what you're saying? Yes, uh, for some patients, yes. Why is that? Uh, it's because, our, uh, for example, like um, in, we have a... We have the patient like they're ten years old, that but their but their height is, is only like a one o five or one ten mm. centimeter only. So that's why they become the their BMI level is become normal. But uh, in in real situation, the child seems to be the cataxid and the child seems to be standard and wasted. But they yeah. according to the BMI, the the then nutrition status is seem to be normal. Oh, I yeah. see. Because it's scaled for height. Um, if you yeah. have a stunted child, then it could throw yeah. off your BMI yeah. estimates. Yes. Oh, okay. That makes sense. One, one of the things um, that we've been working on is um, collecting mid-upper arm circumferences as well as a, another indicator of nutrition status, um, yes. especially when a child's height or weight or BMI doesn't seem to necessarily fit their clinical picture. And, you know, one of the things that's so um, interesting and challenging about nutrition assessment is a lot of these, these are just numbers, right? And Mm -hmm. so as the nutritionist, you know, working with the patient, it's, it's Nini's job and my job here in Boston to kind of take all the information that we have and, and try to classify children accordingly. Yeah. Yeah, I, I that makes sense. You know, I don't know a lot about nutri- the nutrition literature in a global health setting, but it seems like I hear a lot about the what is it, the mid upper arm MUAC, mid upper arm circumference. Yep. So is that the a better standard versus the BMI, or as you're saying, you just put it all together and there's not really one way to rightly interpret it? Well, the mid upper arm circumference is really useful um, when, especially in an oncology patient where height and weight may not be the best indicator or may not be possible to obtain, you know, so you might have a child where they can't physically stand up. And so getting a height on them is not possible. And so in that case, you know, you can't figure out what their BMI is. And so we go to the mid upper arms circumference. You could have children with a solid tumor that is, you know, physically adding a lot of weight to them. And so their weight may be just inappropriately high, but getting a mid-upper arm circumference is an independent measure that looks at their nutrition status without being kind of confounded by some of those barriers. Mm, Okay. Yeah, that makes sense. So it has to be a tailored picture for each of the patients, depending on their clinical context. Exactly. Yes. 
so you're saying, Nini, that there is a high prevalence of uh, malnutrition at baseline, and then it's exacerbated by the fact that these kids are going through cancer treatment and that they have cancer. Um, so it sounds like you're fighting the nutrition battle on several fronts, both just because of the disease, but also the context in which you're practicing. Um, so I'm curious, uh, in the uh, in the larger population, are there deficits of nutrients? Like, is there something about the diet that predisposes kids to being malnourished? So is it dietary practices itself, or is it just that people don't have enough food or that, you know, they, they have a specific belief about what an yeah. appropriate weight for a patient is? What sets the dietary practices of the population? Yes, it's mainly, it's mainly due to our cultural practice because uh, not, not like the Western country, our country, the protein intake of our country is very low. Uh, this is the main reason why uh, most of our children, 30% of our children become uh, suffering the chronic malnourished. Uh, because we, uh, in our practice, we don't usually eat so much, uh, that uh, we don't usually eat much amount of the protein. Uh, we, we, we eat usually based on the carbohydrate. And then their, their main source of the nutrient is like from complex carbohydrate, and then maybe sometimes they are from the saturated fat. Now, the, the nutrient from the protein is very low in our country. Uh, this is the main reason why uh, the, the prevalence of the malnourished is very high in, in Myanmar. What is the reason that the protein intake is so low? Uh, because of the cultural practice, we, uh, according to, uh, in our culture, um, Myanmar people usually eat the rice and curry, but they, we we eat only the small portion of the curry, like the chicken curry or mm -hmm. some some kind of the protein. But we usually eat we mainly eat the rice, a large amount of the rice only. So that that's the reason why the our protein intake is mm. lower than the other country. Okay, so it's not necessarily say a religious reason. Or a, or a limitation due to resources, you're saying it's just kind of, this is how the, the food landscape uh, yeah, looks. The, 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 main, the main reason is like that. But for the other things, it's like the, not, not due to the religious religion region because uh, we, uh, our religion is like the Buddhist, mm. which is uh, we, we, don't, we don't usually practice the vegetarian diet. Uh, so it's quite okay. And then the other thing is the limitation of the food. Uh, uh, sometimes we eat. Uh, sometimes the pe people from the urban area, uh, rural areas uh, eat only with the fish paste and large amount of the rice only. This is the reason why. Maybe due to the cultural practice and uh, the limitation of the food combination of the, these two reasons, uh, it became the the prevalence of the malnourished is high in Myanmar. Oh, okay. I see. And so when, when you get a new patient, Nini, they come to you and you start talking to them about nutrition. What is their level of understanding about what foods are important to eat? And, you know, what is the importance of having a proper diet throughout treatment? Actually, our patient attendants are really, uh, they, they, they don't really know about the what is nutrition and uh, what is good for their child and what is not good for their child. Because uh, the because of the social media in these days, uh, there are wrong information on the social media. So people think that they are right. And then, so they, they become, they, 
they are afraid to feed their child red meat, and sometimes they 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 don't they don't feed the child with a fish, chicken because the fish and chicken can increase the tumor mass. They believe that. Oh, uh, that's why they they give only their child with a uh, only the carbohydrate and maybe sometimes with a fat only. Uh, they, they, uh, this is this is the reason. So the their edu- the understandable level is is a little bit lower than maybe I, I'm not sure about the other country, but the at first they don't they don't really know about what is good for the child and what is what is suitable for the child. They don't they don't know that. And then even they they have two reasons because of the lack of the knowledge and because of the limitation of the food. Interesting. And you're saying something that is really very similar to what I find in the United States, that part of the healthcare worker's job is to educate people against what they're reading on social media and try to provide better sources of knowledge as to what are good practices, whether it be in terms of food or whether it be in terms of what kind of care is optimal for a cancer patient. Yeah. Yes. Aaron, do you see that a lot too? I'm just curious from your perspective, is this a a worldwide fight now? (laughs) Absolutely. Mm -hmm. And I think, you know, with the challenging thing about nutrition and oncology is we don't, you know, it's not, it's not like a renal diet where we can, you know, be, you know, prescribe, you know, less than 1500 milligrams of sodium a day and, you know, avoid this or that, you know, there's not clear cut guidelines in terms of what is quote unquote best for um, a child going through oncology treatment. And not only do we have to deal with, you know, issues of, you know, food access and making sure that people have enough to eat and, and, you know, trying to figure out all of us working on this, trying to figure out what the best kind of foods and ratios of things are. But then we have to factor in the fact that, you know, kids going through treatment, they don't want to eat, you know, they have no appetite, they're nauseous, they're vomiting. And so we have to deal with the fact that not only what are the best foods, but then how do we help support them so that they can physically eat those foods? Yeah, that's tough. The The patient effect um, of convincing a kid to do something that he, he or she clearly doesn't feel like doing at the time and saying, no, no, this is good for you is a very difficult thing. Nini, how do you approach that at Yangon when you have a kid who is fighting to not eat and is clearly in need of some nutrition? Like, do you do NG feeds or do you all have medications like appetite stimulants? We have so many, uh, so many uh, uh, condition and case scenarios. We are, we are facing it. Uh, sometimes some it's like mucositis and loss of appetite and nausea, vomiting, and already occur is is really happening in the oncology children. So in that cases, it, we go with by case by case, and then sometimes uh, I I ask for their favorite food and which what kind of food do they want to eat and. So uh, I provide that, and then sometimes I, we give the uh, uh, we we discuss. I discuss with the physician, oncology uh, oncologist. I discuss with the oncologist about the nutrition, uh, about the feeding problem of his, the child, and then uh, we decided to give the NG feeding or not. Uh, sometimes we give the intra uh, parental nutrition also. Is that readily available? Uh, parental nutrition. Yes, it's available in Myanmar. Yeah. In this month, we have the two cases who need the parental nutrition. So we discussed with the oncologist 
and uh, so they said that they want to give their, their they want to give the parental nutrition for like the intralipid and amino acid. So currently we're using we're doing the parental nutrition in hematological oncology unit. Excellent. Okay. Well, let's let's shift gears. You sent me an abstract, Aaron, that is called "Food is Medicine." And I think that's such an important way to frame how nutrition should be seen in the setting of uh, childhood cancer treatment. And so can you, uh, can you both kind of walk us through why you see food as medicine? One of the things, you know, I, I give a talk to residents um, here in Boston um, pretty early when they start their oncology rotations. And one of the things that I always lead with is kids are always supposed to be growing. You know, that's the job of a kid is to grow and develop and meet those developmental milestones and, you know, grow into the people that they will grow up to be. And when you have an oncology diagnosis that completely disrupts that, you know, fundamental developmental trajectory. And so we know that kids who have poor nutrition status, um, that has a big impact on their response to treatment. We know that malnourished children have increased rates of therapy-related toxicity. They have more infection rates. They have poor wound healing. And they have increased abandonment rates, which in low- and middle-income countries, you know, that's such a huge barrier to survival. You know, having kids start treatment and we want them to finish treatment. And their nutrition status is a big, big part of that. And, you know, unfortunately, it, sadly, you know, children who are malnourished have poor survival rates overall. And so when we're thinking about, you know, how best do we support a child going through treatment, we not only want to make sure that they're getting access to the chemotherapies they need, which will certainly, you know, prolong, if not save their lives, but we want to make sure that along the way, their body has what it needs to not only fight the disease, but also support that normal growth and development so that when they're disease-free, you know, they have a long, healthy life ahead of them. Yeah. And Nini, what is it like trying to convince people in Myanmar that food is medicine? Yeah. I always said that uh, if you have the disease, you have to be become more healthier than the other so see you have to eat the more nutritious food and so uh, this is the our nutrition is only the supportive care but it is it it, it played the important role in the treatment they have to know that but i always tell that the right nutrition can can improve from the can improve the result of the treatment and then can can improve the well-being of the child i always told the patient attendance like that. Good. And do you, do you ever find that healthcare providers um, don't understand the importance of nutrition themselves, or are they pretty much of the same mindset of you with you that nutrition is a very important part of their treatment? Yes. Uh, the, and these the, actually these years, there our healthcare provider becomes very, very uh, becomes the, uh, increased awareness about the nutrition. Good nutrition can lead to the good result of their nutrition treatment. They totally agree with us. Uh, they, they, that's why the, the project is become, uh, the project is doing now because uh, even our other professional like the pediatrician and also the oncologist, they accept that the nutrition is very important for their, for their children. So they, we are on the same team. 
Perfect. Yeah, that's very important to have consensus yeah. and agreement among the healthcare personnel about what is worth doing. So yeah. that's great. So going back to what the nutritional practices were like at Yangon prior to you coming, was there any dietitian or nutritionist around in the hospital to educate families or how were they getting educated about nutrition? There was no one because in our country, we don't have the uh, education program for the nutrition in curriculum. Academic, academically, we don't have the nutrition program in our country. So uh, the nutritionist in Myanmar is very, very limited. Only 10 to 15 nutritionists in Myanmar. So I think oh, wow. they, they <laughs> there was no one to educate there to educate before the project. And I think, um, you know, the physicians and the nurses work incredibly hard. And that's something that we see, you know, all over the world where we have um, a lot of patients and not enough healthcare providers. And yep. so physicians and nurses yeah. end up doing um, more than, you know, there's enough hours in the day for. And so when we first started talking about the nutrition program, you know, we learned that at time of diagnosis, families were getting kind of like a, a one-page kind of pamphlet, let's say, um, that kind of summarized some key education topics, some were nutrition-based, um, kind of focused on drinking bottled water, or, yeah. um, you know, safe food handlings, as well as the importance of washing hands and brushing teeth and those sorts of things. But that that was kind of the extent of it. And then, you know, of course, nurses and physicians I'm sure answering questions as they came up, but as Nini said, yeah. not a, there was not a designated dietitian or a nutritionist. Got it. Yeah. And so with now, now you're here, Nini. Um, yeah. And so what specific interventions do you do for the families? I know you've listed some of them out throughout the course of this conversation, but can you just walk us through, you know, within the, how this project was conceived, like what is your job or how are you hoping to be effective? Uh, my job is, uh, uh, let me explain about their uh, workflow of their our project. At first, we have to, uh, our nurses uh, screen the nutrition status of the patient, roughly. And after that, I calculate, the cal- uh, I calculate their BMI and also measure the mid-upper-m uh, circumferences or something like that. And then after that, I got the list of the children who need to who who needs the nutrition intervention and we categorize into the four which is at risk mild malnutrition moderate and severe so after the uh, after we categorize the status of the nutrition of the child and then we give the intervention of the each and every patient for every day uh, this is the workflow of their our project in Young Children Hospital. So the intervention is we give the uh, formula make and sometimes swine make uh, with a beverages make or malted make. And then we, we give the snack, like the Myanmar snack. And sometimes the, the children prefer, according to their preference, we, we change the, a lot of items and a lot of, uh, lots of items for the snacks because our children wants to eat the Myanmar snacks and sometimes they want to eat the cake or something like that. Uh, uh, this is the uh, intervention that we are currently giving in the Younger Children Hospital. I see. And Aaron, you said earlier it's an inpatient intervention. So these are only f- uh, with the kids who are admitted to the hospital currently. Is that correct? Yes. 
Yes, correct? yes. Well, I was going to say, and what we're um, starting to see with some of the um, data that we're collecting is that when the children are inpatient, a couple things are happening. So one, um, the ward has a very, very strong volunteer meal program. So separate from the nutrition program, all of the children get meals every day. That's done completely based on a volunteer program. Um, and then what the nutrition program does is based on the child's malnutrition status, they get additional fortified milks and snacks, hard boiled eggs, um, on top of the meals that are donated. And so when they're in the hospital, they're receiving a good amount of nutrition. And then what we're starting to see in the data, though, is they leave the hospital. And when they're readmitted, we're not necessarily seeing those gains continuing because there's been time when they've been out of the hospital and not receiving the same amount of nutrition and calories that they were when they were in the hospital. Yeah, interesting. So there's there's no monitoring, say, at follow-up appointments or what happens in the outpatient setting? Currently, there is not there's not follow-up in the outpatient setting. And so one of the things that, you know, we're thinking about as this program continues and trying to identify what kind of the next, the next phases are and what the barriers are, you know, trying to figure out how better to serve children outpatient um, to prevent those losses once they've gained in the hospital is something that we're thinking about and still trying to figure out a model that would work for um, Yangon children specifically. Sure. Yeah. So you mentioned in terms of outcomes um, that it, it, it looks like preliminary data say that they gain weight in the hospital and then they lose it when they go out. Uh, what other outcomes have you seen so far? This program has been going on for six months, right? Yeah, correct. Yeah. So, so what else yeah. have you seen? So our preliminary data is looking mostly at um, anthropometric outcomes. So weight, height, mid-upper arm circumference, as we've discussed. We're also tracking um, acceptance to the nutrition interventions themselves and the amount, the percent of consumption that the kids actually take of the interventions um, as we try to figure out what are the best products and things that the kids will accept. And as we mentioned, trying to navigate oral intake around the myriad of uh, treatment side effects is, is quite challenging. One of the things that will be happening in 2020 is a more specific research project, specifically looking at the leukemia patients and trying to tie their nutrition status with oncology outcomes. And so that's one of the next steps of the um, of this project is conducting um, a little bit more focused research directed to um, treatment outcomes. We're not doing that currently. Got it. So there's still a lot to be learned in this setting. Yeah. Yes. Yes. Okay. Very good. And what's, well, so you mentioned a few things that's next, which would be looking at the leukemia outcomes and then also thinking about the outpatient settings, anything else you want to do to expand the project? Um, one of the things um, that, you know, is really challenging working in and in some of these hospitals in low and middle income countries is, is space. Um, and resources. And so one of the things that we've been really fortunate is there's a space within the hospital that we've kind of flagged, let's say, um, as an area where we could take over and make a kitchen or a a space that would have sinks and cabinets where 
both Nini could prepare fortified milks or um, blenderized tube feeds if we get to the point where we can do more tube feeding, where we can prepare more nutrient-dense items for the program. Um, and so that's something that we're working on, trying to get the renovations done to have more of a, a prep space for the nutrition program. The other thing that um, we're hoping to do is, you know, Nini is just one person and he's doing an amazing job um, seeing all these patients on a daily basis. But as we mentioned, you know, the there's just a, a lack of healthcare providers overall. And so one of the things that we've been thinking about is how can we support um, caregivers or more you know, lay people in the community who might be interested in receiving some additional nutrition education training to serve almost as nutrition champions, you know, people who can help lead nutrition classes or be available for families when they have questions. But, you know, Nini is working with a, you know, critically ill child and can't, you know, necessarily answer family questions right then and there. And so trying to develop a more robust group of parents or um, other community members to help with some of the education factors. Okay. And then one other question that I had that's always relevant to these kind of global projects, where did the funding come from, from this project? Because that's one of the things where projects seems to live or die by what, you know, what funding mechanisms are available. Um, So how did y'all, how did y'all get the money to get this off the ground? Yeah, that's a great question. We're really fortunate um, that Yangon Children's Hospital has a lot of organizations that have been working with them, you know, really for years and years and years. And so we've been fortunate to partner with World Child Cancer and Childhood Cancer International, both of whom have been working um, in Myanmar for a while now. And they both have been incredibly, incredibly supportive of this initiative, and they've um, been instrumental in getting the the funding that we need for this first year. Um, We've also received some funding um, from the Dana-Farber here in Boston um, through some grants that they offer. And so it's really been kind of a a mixed bag, but um, the the first year has been fully funded by World Child Cancer and Childhood uh, Childhood Cancer International. It's fantastic. Very good. Okay. Well, we are coming up um, at the end of our time and I wish we had a little more time to talk because I think this uh, area is so, so important and something that I, you know, as a physician myself, I will be honest that it's not always what's, it's not always at the forefront of my mind, even though I know it's important. So it's a good reminder to um, just take a second to remember the importance of nutrition, both in my own setting and also within the global context. So I appreciate both of your time um, and discussing this project with us. We look forward to seeing where it is going to go in the future. And so as I think results come in, we'll have to have you back on to see how things are going. Yeah, definitely. It'd be great. Definitely. Yeah. Okay, good. Well, yeah, thank you both. And um, we look forward to your success in the near future. Thank you so much, Mark. (laughs) Thanks. Have a good day. Bye.